Well, that was a really good introduction. It actually summarizes me pretty well. I was in a fraternity in college, and I'm now taking historical theology with Jordan Howell and loving it, right? Um, but yeah, my name's Rainer. I work for a salt company up in Ames, Iowa. Um, tonight, we're going to be continuing with your guys' series, Connecting the Dots, Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible, why don't you flip to 1 Samuel 17? And while you're getting there, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever been totally wrong about someone or something? Yeah, I've seen some nods, yeah. Like, right, we all have. Even the smartest among us have probably been wrong once or twice. Um, I for sure have been there. And just last summer, I was playing Secret Hitler. Has anyone ever played that game? Yeah, yeah. Do you guys like it? I, I don't know. I've never really been, been too into it. Um, maybe it's because I'm a bad liar, or maybe, I don't know. But, so I was playing it, if you haven't played before. Basically, there's two teams, fascists, liberals. Um, but, like, half the players are lying the entire time and just trying to, like, trick you, manipulate you into trusting them, right? Uh, so when I was playing last summer, one of my friend's wives, or a friend, one wife, right? Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, my friend's wife, right, uh, totally had me tricked that she was on my team. So I'm, like, advocating for her, voting her into power, and then, you know, I'm telling you this story because she was Hitler, right, in the end. And it was just, like, this crushing time. I remember, like, putting my face into my hands, and I was like, dang it. And, yeah, it's kind of funny when it's just, like, a game where it's like, oh, yeah, like, I was wrong, I made a mistake, like, she wasn't it, but, right, it's a lot less funny when it's something um, a little more real, right? Like, it really sucks when people let you down, that you trust. And I think it really sucks, right, when you feel like God's the one letting you down, um, or when something happens that kind of makes you question or doubt whether God's even good. Or if you can, like, truly trust God. Like, does he really have your best interests in mind? And so tonight, I think this text, 1 Samuel 17, is actually going to be answering the question, is God trustworthy? And can we truly trust God? It's a really important question to ask because we know that trust is foundational for relationships, right? Like, if you can't trust someone, it's really hard to be in a relationship with them. I'm convinced that God is going to answer this question. He's going to tell us, is he trustworthy in our text tonight? So if you flip there, if you have your Bible, you've probably seen the the title at the top that we're talking about, David and Goliath, right? It's probably one of the most famous um, underdog stories in all time. It's mentioned in movies. It's in children's books. Um, And I think the the text often gets told as this um, mustering up of courage, right? Where it's, if you're just, um, if you just muster up enough courage, right? Goliath's kind of like your dating struggle. And you can just go up, ask out the prettiest girl in Salt Company, right? No, that's not how you guys have heard it. Um, I don't know, I've I've heard the text kind of taught like that before, where it's all about mustering up this courage from inside of you. But I'm convinced the story actually has more to that, and more to teach us about God um, than just courage. So tonight we're going to be looking at three different men in this story who others have trusted in, and we're going to look at why they were trusted and if they were truly trustworthy. So if you're at 1 Samuel 17, we'll start reading in verse 1. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Soko in Judah and camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephestimim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Gath, if you guys want to underline the word champion, we can come back to that, came out from the Philistine camp He was nine feet, nine inches tall, and wore a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. 
So the first character we're going to introduce to is Goliath. He's the champion of the Philistines. Nine feet, nine inches tall, wears armor about the weight of a freshman. And we'll continue right here into verse 8. He, that's Goliath, stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation, he asked them. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? So Saul's the king of Israel at this point. He's the second main character in our story. Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. What Goliath's proposing here is a battle of champions, right? So when we, we hear champion, we're often thinking of guys like Michael Phelps, Simone Biles, Maron James, Serena Williams, Brock Purdy, right? Any Cyclone fans? Yeah, come on, come on. <laughs> amen, amen, right? We think of these incredible people who have um, accomplished incredible things. We think of men and women who win over and over again. And this is true of Goliath, right? He's been a warrior since he was young. He's defeated many enemies in battle. And he's known as a champion because he's this victorious, victorious fighter. But that's not all like being a champion means. A champion's also a person who fights on behalf of someone else. So as we look through these three characters in our story, we're going to be assessing if they are champions to decide if they're trustworthy, if they're completely champions in both senses of the word. Right? We need to find someone who's going to be victorious in battle and is also willing to represent his people. What we know of Goliath so far is that he's a complete champion, right? Because he has defeated rivals in the past, and he's willing to fight on behalf of the Philistines. So the Goliath, to this point, is the Philistines' victorious representative. Are you guys tracking with me for this champion stuff? I think, um, have you guys seen Thor Ragnarok? Right? Okay, this, this one's a good illustration, that I think. So in Thor Ragnarok, Thor falls down onto Sakaar. He's in this contest of champions put on by the Grandmaster. And all of a sudden, he's sitting there and just green starts flashing across the crowds. Everyone starts cheering, and the Hulk busts through as the Grandmaster's champion. I mean, for Marvel fans, we're like, what? The Hulk's still alive? But the, the point I'm telling you this is, right, he's the Grandmaster's champion. He's famous. People are celebrating because he's victorious. Like, he's won multiple battles up until this point. But he's also the Grandmaster's champion because the Grandmaster's influence is critical, or is resting on the fact that the Hulk continues to win. So as they're fighting, right, the, the, tide, starts to, the tide starts to chain, and the crowd starts chanting like, thunder. Thunder, thunder. It, it's clear that Thor actually is about to win this battle. So the Grandmaster ends up like pulling out this like thing, electrocutes the electrocutes Thor, which I don't know why the god of thunder who like shoots lightning bolts can somehow get like electrocuted. Uh, but it puts him out of commission, right? Um, but the Grandmaster does that because he's trying to protect his, his power and influence. So we know that the Hulk is standing in um, as both those when he comes to the champion. So when Goliath is identified as a champion, we should think of him both as a victor and a representative of the Philistine army, right? We're introduced to Goliath as a victorious representative right from the gecko when we first meet him. So when Goliath says, choose one of your men and have him come down against me, he's proposing this high stakes, winner take all, one Israelite, one Philistine, fighting on behalf of both armies to settle this dispute between the, the Philistines and the Israelites. But this tension arrived in, in verse 11, if you caught it, when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. 
And I think if we were in that situation, we'd be pretty terrified too because no one really wants to go fight the Hulk, right? We'd just be sitting there on the sidelines like, yeah, I'm not going for that. But the problem's clear, right, that Israel needs a champion. Israel needs someone in this winner-take-all battle to fight on their behalf, right? So Israel needs someone to step up, will stand in their place, and will eventually defeat Goliath. If we flip a few pages back, right, to 1 Samuel 8, verses 19 and 20, I think it might appear on the screen, yeah, Israel's begging for a king. So they're begging to the prophet Samuel. They say, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us, go out before us, and fight our battles. So God ends up giving them exactly what they want there in 1 Samuel 9, verse 2. He brings out Saul. He finds Saul. And it says that Saul is an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. So Israel actually had their own giant, right? Saul's a head taller than everyone else. Saul's also the king. Like, this dude should be fighting on behalf of Israel. But here in, like, this 1v1 of the millennium, the biggest, like, the most important battle, right? Saul has no courage, is terrified. And just like all of Israel, Saul's not going to fight this battle. So when Israel looked around and thought they needed a king, they trusted Saul, and now Saul, in this ultimate way, has let them down. So Saul, obviously, is this next character we're looking at as we evaluate, is he a champion? Is Saul trustworthy? Um, and we can't even tell if Saul will be victorious because he's not even willing to fight. He's not willing to do what he signed up for as king and what the people wanted a king in the first place. We're never going to figure out if Saul had the power to defeat Goliath, and it really doesn't matter because Saul doesn't have the self-sacrificing love required to stand in the place of Israel. And it begs us to ask the question in our own lives of what are we trusting in who or what is the Saul in your life that you're putting your faith in but eventually is going to let you down, right? So as Israel turned to Saul, and I think many of us, if we're honest, we have our own Sauls in our life that we're kind of, tra- or we're kind of falling into. We look to the peoples around us and we believe some lies. We're fooled into thinking that someone or something created is worth trusting in and is never going to let us down. But, right, if you live long enough, someone's going to let you down. Like, uh, it really sucks, right, when, when someone lets you down? So I can't fully grasp what it must have been like kind of standing on the edge of the ravine, watching Goliath taunt you, your people, your God, and then watching your giant Saul, the tallest among you, back down and cower. It had to have been sinking in because the whole point of this battle was that whoever would lose, they would become slaves to the other people. It had to have been sinking in that Israel was going to be slaves in the land of the Philistine of their kids, their grandkids, slaves forever in the land of the Philistine. Because all of Israel's trust at this point was in Saul, and he has failed them in their greatest time of need. And so at this point, this point of utter hopelessness for Israel that we're introduced to our third character, David, verse 12. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, and their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, the next, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. So to help us understand who David is, I'll give you a little bit of background. We saw that David was the eighth son. In Jewish culture, seven was this number of completeness, right? So being the eighth son was like, David is very much a misfit, very much an outcast, right? Then we learn that David's a shepherd, right? He's tending his father's sheep. This wasn't the role of a son, right? 
The shepherd was the role of the servant and the slave. Like that shows how Jesse even viewed David. And Samuel, the book, or the prophet who this book is named after, goes to Jesse's house to find and anoint a new king for Israel. And Jesse doesn't even invite Samuel and or doesn't even invite David to meet the prophet. He only invites his seven oldest sons. David's completely forgotten about. He's the least of his brothers. And I think a final thing that's kind of helpful to realize with David is he's the very much young. Like he's much younger than us, right? In Jewish culture, if you're 20, you're fighting in the war. So David has seven older brothers, and only three of them have to be over 20. So there's four other brothers, right, under 20, which means David's like kind of like a freshman in high school. Can like maybe grow some peach fuzz, but probably not. Probably doesn't have any armpit hair, right? His mom's still driving him to football practice. Like this guy is young. And I'll, I'll breeze through the rest of this story pretty quick, but you can go back and read it because I really do think it's an awesome story. But basically every morning and every evening for 40 days, Goliath would walk out and yell at Israel to send out a champion to fight him. And every day, Israel would retreat and tremble because they were so terrified. But then Jesse, right, David's father, sends David to bring bread to his brothers at the front lines. And David hears the call of Goliath and decides he wants to do something. We're in verse 26 now. David spoke to the men who were standing with him, what will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. Don't even have any armpit hair. He's been a warrior since he was young. David answered, Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and may the Lord be with you. There's a pretty quick turnaround there that Saul was like, hey, you're, you're too young. But he's like, okay, go, go, go for it, right? Because Saul's hopeless. Saul's just looking for anyone to fight. So Saul finds David because David's the only one who's willing to go. So Saul puts his faith in David. All of Israel puts, his faith in, puts their faith in David and trusts in David because he's the only one willing to fight on Israel's behalf, right? They have no options but to wager their lives and the lives of their children on this little shepherd kid who doesn't even have any peach fuzz. Again, we've got to fill you all in to save some time, but go back and read it. David goes out, picks up five smooth stones, grabs his slingshot, walks out to face Goliath, and the Israelites are just watching in disbelief. Because who's stupid enough to go and face the Hulk? And they see this little kid walking towards this giant. And I sometimes think it's hard for us to really recognize how big things are until we see something we like recognize next to it. So when you're like on the other side of the ravine, it's like Goliath looks big, but as David walks up, he looks even bigger. Like when I was driving here, I saw these like windmills. I'm like, I know windmills are big, right? Like, but when you're from the, far from the road, it's like, maybe it's not that big until you see a little F-150 right next to it. You're like, oh yeah. So that's what all Israel's realizing. It's like, they thought Saul was, or they thought Goliath was big, and then David starts walking up, they're like, yeah, he's a big guy, he's a big guy. And this hardly even looks like a fight. Everyone watching, Philistines and Israelites alike, they're thinking Saul, or Goliath is going to win. 
Like, it's such a mismatch, calling it an underdog story doesn't even do it justice. There's a reason Iowa wrestling has weight classes, right? Because, like, if you have this, like, heavyweight going against this 106 dude, like, it's not going to end well. You guys know Jake Each, your lead pastor? You guys all know him, right? He's on sabbatical. Imagine if he, like, walked in right now and was like, I need to fight someone. I'm like, oh, pick me. Like, Jake Each played college football for Arizona State. I played a single down of intramural football my freshman year, flag football, right? <laughs> like, made a team with my friends. We had one guy who was coaching us, coaching, right? Um, game one goes on. It's like an hour and a half, but it's like, oh, there just wasn't time for me to play. Game, game two, it's like, oh, yeah, just hour and a half goes by. But game three, one of the players comes running off. He's like, Rain, get in. Like, I'm tired. I go out. I don't know. I'm playing, like, left field or something. And the coach is like, Rainer, get back here. That was my only doubt, right? So it was like such a mismatch. There's someone like twice the size of Jake each going up against someone like smaller than me. It's not just an underdog story, right? It's the makings of a massacre. But let's see what happens. Who knows? Maybe you've heard the story. But verse 48, when the Philistines started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran and stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. Yeah, kind of need to take a breather there, right? David's the one who won. I don't know if you guys knew that was the, how the story was going, but David's the one who won. And I think now we can kind of go back and look at these three main characters again and track, are they trustworthy, right? Are they going to be a complete champion? Are they going to be victorious and willing to represent in this time of need? They've got to be powerful enough to conquer and courageous enough to fight for their people. So we learned really early on that Saul, Israel trusts Saul, but they can't, right? He won't fight for them. And the Philistines, they trust Goliath, but figure out pretty quickly he loses, right? He's no longer this victorious champion. He loses. So he's willing to fight on their people, for his people, but he can't conquer. But we learn that we can all actually, or the Philistines and the Israelites learn that David, David's the complete champion, right? David's willing to fight on behalf of his people, and he triumphantly wins. See, the champion that God's sending in this battle is not the one we could have imagined, the two tallest, strongest men in a thousand miles, they're not the ultimate champion. It was the lowly, rejected shepherd boy. See, God sends us a champion that shows off his heavenly strength. God sends the champion we didn't expect to show that the battle belongs to the Lord. And I love that I get to be a part of this series that you guys are doing because I really do agree that the whole Old Testament points to Jesus, right? I think David and Goliath is in the Bible not so we can defeat our dating struggles, but so that we can see Jesus as more beautiful, more powerful, and more fully than ever before. So David, David is the one who foreshadows Jesus. Jesus is David in this story. We're not the champion in our own life. Jesus is. We can't defeat the Goliath in our life. Jesus can. See, God chose what the world called weak to show that the battle belongs to him. David, the weakest of his brothers, the champion we didn't expect. And on that day, 
God sent David to save Israel. And 2,000 years ago, God sent us Jesus. God sends us Jesus to defeat our ultimate enemy, sin and death. As David's father, Jesse, sends David to the front lines of the battle, Jesus, or the Father in heaven sends Jesus Christ to the cross to accomplish what we never could. Jesus did not use a sling, he used a cross, right? He didn't throw this stone across into the head of the giant. He rolled the stone away, conquering sin and death. Because Jesus is this champion that we never expected. He took the form of a servant, or a servant, died on a cross, and he was the exact champion we needed to restore our souls. But we never expected him. So Jesus fought for us, and like David, Jesus won the battle we could never win. Jesus, the perfect, the perfect champion, in a winner-take-all standoff against sin and death, triumphantly wins. He was our representative, and he defeated Goliath, right? So Saul Company, Jesus is our victorious representative. He does both. He is a complete champion. He's the only place we can put our trust. A few weeks ago at, um, at Saul Company here in Ames, or not here in Ames, where I, where I work in Ames, um, our director, Saul, not to be confused with King Saul, um, told us, he said, many things in life have a weight limit. Trampolines, bridges, bicycles, skateboards. Exceed that capacity and they will bend, snap, and collapse. God's promises are not like that. There's no weight limit. They'll never break. They won't even bend. They can sustain all the weight you can put on them. Well, everything eventually will let us down. God never will. If you put your trust in anything, at some point it's going to let you down. I'm not advocating to, that we all have trust issues. I'm just saying we should acknowledge the fact that people will let us down and be gracious to them and forgive them, but to recognize that God is trustworthy, God we can put our faith in. Because when everything else bends, snaps, or collapses, God sends us Jesus, right? God proves that he's trustworthy by sending Jesus. Jesus is God's proof that God fights on behalf of his people. God didn't send us another Saul whom we trusted and who cowered. He didn't even send us a mere another David who only ruled 40 years and like every other king eventually dies. He sends us Jesus, the true and better David. Jesus, the champion of our souls. Jesus, the true king who reigns forever. So my plea to you guys tonight is that you put all your weight on Jesus. Because I don't think Jesus will ever break, bend, snap, collapse. He has already defeated Goliath. He will never let you down. He will never back down from the fight. And today, you can choose in the battle for your life which side of the ravine you want to stand on. Today, you can choose to stop fighting and let Jesus be the champion in your life. And he wins, right? He's the ultimate champion. He's our victorious representative. So as we see, guys, I think David foreshadows Jesus. So if Jesus is David in this story, Goliath is sin, death, Satan. But you guys, have you figured out where, who we are in this? I think we're the scared Israelites. And what do the scared Israelites do? They trust the champion that the Lord provided them. We'll go back to the text one more time this evening. Go to 1 Samuel 17, verse 51. David ran and stood over him, Goliath. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. 
When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Sharaim road to, from, to Gath and Ekron. When we trust the champion that the Lord provides, we are giving courage. You see that? I know I mentioned before that I don't think this story is about mustering up courage within us, but I still think this text has something to tell us about where courage comes from. And I think God will give courage to cowards. But how does he do that? He sends a champion. We're never asked to muster up courage within ourselves. We're not asked to trust in our own abilities. We're given a champion to trust in. We're given a champion to look to. Right? The Israelites pursue the Philistines and defeat them because true courage comes from looking to the champion of our souls and trusting in him for strength. When we realize that our greatest enemy, sin, death, and Satan, have already been destroyed, we can find courage because we can... We know we can trust in a champion who will never let us down. When Israel saw Goliath fall to the ground, they saw their greatest enemy defeated. The enemy they could never defeat lays lifeless on the ground, later to have David slice his head. What other enemy could Israel not defeat? Because they can trust in their champion who can defeat all enemies. The champion has been proven trustworthy. So they were made courageous. They trusted that whatever enemy they pursued, they could defeat by the power of the champion. No enemy is too big for their champion, and they are safe in their champion. Their champion is trustworthy. And we have an even better champion than David, right? We have Jesus. You can look to him for courage. As Israel's made conquerors through David, we're made more than conquerors through Christ. So Saul Company, my, my beg, my plea to you is to look to your champion. And if you've never called Jesus your champion, if you've never, had to, you've never put him in a place where he can fight your battles for you, I ask that you trust in him tonight. Jesus will never let you down, so I ask you to put your trust in Jesus and find courage in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you humbly. We know you are trustworthy. We know we can't win the battle for our lives. Thank you for sending us Jesus. Thank you for sending us a complete champion. Thank you for sending us a victorious representative for our souls. In the difficulty of life, set our eyes on you, Lord. Move our eyes away from ourselves and the things of the world towards you. You're the champion of our souls. Teach us to trust in you. And Lord, give us the courage when we feel cowardly. Remind us that the battle has already been won. Remind us that you are the only king forever. Remind us that, God, you will never fail us. We love you, Jesus. Be near to us this week. Amen.